stand together and sing, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to know upon his promise, just to know the safe Simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him We can trust you and we can learn to trust you more and more and more. We pray, Lord, that we would be like uh, uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, commendation to the church of Ephesus, that, that I commend you for you people for, for your faith in God and for your love for the saints. Lord, we pray that we would be that type of people. And uh, Lord, we just uh, give you all glory and honor and praise today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, welcome to uh, worship at First Baptist Church 
Nome, Alaska. <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad, but it, uh, uh, it's, it's bad out there. And, uh, and so, by the way, uh, if, if you are listening on, on the Internet, we pray that you're staying warm and safe. And we hope you have a great worship uh, experience with us today. Um, we would like for you to fill out one of these uh, uh, guest cards. It's a connection card. So if, you're, if, if you are here for the first time today, we really need to know who you are. <laughs> because you are one of the, the true, the prayer request. Uh, fill this out and, and there's information on the back. You can check a box or you can uh, make a prayer request and we'll be faithful to pray for those. Uh, and, and seriously, if you are new to us today, we want to know who you are so uh, we can get information to you, and we'd love to do that, so please uh, help us with that. Hey, as we, uh, I mentioned in the opening prayer about, uh, and that's what we're going to be uh, uh, learning about today, is uh, uh, the, the Church of Ephesus having faith in God and loving the saints. And so we're going to sing about those two things, and let's start with this great old hymn, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Oh 
I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. worship time reminds us of uh, that we need to be very serious about our love for one another. Um, it's astounding really to me as I read here in John 17, the chapter right before Jesus is arrested and tried and then ultimately crucified, he spends so much time telling us, love one another, be unified in the body of Christ. And when we do that, the whole world will see that we are believers. Amen? And so we're going to sing about that today. And there's, there's some references from John 17 that they may be one, that they may be one, that they may become perfectly one. These are some of the things Jesus said right before His death. And so we need to take them very seriously. Let's sing this together. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Let's sing it together. 
let it be said of us we were marked by forgiveness we were known by our love and delighted in meekness we were ruled by his peace eating
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let that be our meditation before we study the Word today. Let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want to manifest this in my life? To outdo one another in showing honor to our brothers and sisters in Christ. commandment. You would show us how that we would love one another so the world will know that you are the Lord and the King of Kings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is an expression that is often used uh, regarding what we might call dead orthodoxy, meaning people who believe right, but it seems they have no life. It seems that they don't actually live out what they say they believe. Sometimes that same expression is referred to as the frozen chosen. <laughs> we can identify with that this morning, can we not? Sometimes it's built off of verse 4 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Is it really possible, biblically, when you think of Pauline theology, to say that we can be orthodox in what we believe and yet be dead in our response to the gospel and the way we live our lives? Paul would beg to differ. He would say to us that if, in fact, you are chosen by God, the fruit of that election will be faith, and love. That's actually the way you will live your life. And that is going to be the sum and substance of how Paul is going to pray for the church. Let's look at that wonderful passage again. Again, the similarity with 15 through 23, with 3 through 14, is obvious in the Greek text. The content is very similar. And also we learned last week that both of them are actually one sentence apiece. 3 through 14 and 15 through 23. Listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and here are the two dominant clauses, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, here's the second major clause, that you may know, that he may give you to you and that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of toward all of us who believe, according to the working of his great might, He's going to explain the power of his might right here. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is, in, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. At this point, when Paul wrote Ephesians, the church was approximately eight years old. How do we know this? Well, we know it because Acts 20 verse 31 tells us that Paul spent three years in Ephesus. Scholars believe that Paul had been gone from Ephesus around five years at the time of the writing. Thus, the church is around eight years old. Our church was planted by some elders from Prospect Baptist Church some 152 years ago. Did we put a picture up? I don't know if we did that or not. Ephraim, what was his name? We didn't? Okay, that's okay. Some 152 years ago. Think about that for a moment. That's a long time. I've been your pastor for some four and a half years. August will be five years that I've been here. That, boy, time flies, doesn't it? Some of you are saying, yeah, it's really been dragging along. It hasn't been flying. <laughs> but many of the members here today have been here way longer than four or five years. Some of you... Maybe have not been here five years. Some may have been here about the time I came. But let's just imagine for a moment that Paul actually labored among our church in the embryonic stages. And let's say it was eight years ago. Like it was when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul leaves and goes to minister to another place. And of course, it would have, if it would have been only eight years ago then he would have probably corresponded back and forth through Twitter and email. But let's say he's getting the report back based upon a work of grace that he actually sees manifested in the body of Christ here at FBCO. I wonder what he would say or write in his report about this church. What do you all think? I think he would have much to say positively regarding our church in the realm of faith and love. Would we be considered a perfect church that manifests faith and love without compromise and uh, liberally like we should? I'm not sure about that. But let's say, what, the, what would the report be? What would be Paul's evaluation of the Lord's work in this place? Would he respond by affirming, affirming true, a true work of grace 
in the body and what was actually taking place in our church. Would he have ample reason to give thanks for what God is doing in our midst? We hope so, don't we? We should. We should hope so. Paul moves in this section from praise to prayer. Remember this incredible, it's a Hebrew term for eulogy. And he borrows that, and that's what he means when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. All of these incredible spiritual blessings that he's given to us, he moves from praise and he moves to prayer. So in the outline in your, well actually the outline on the board you're going to see, puts us forward all the way through chapter 1. And there are really three sections. The first one we will look at today. And that has to do with the thanksgiving that he gives for the true work of grace that he sees manifested in the lives of the believers in Ephesus. That's going to be followed beginning uh, in verse 17 with Paul praying for a deeper knowledge of God and, a, and a, a reminder for all of us of what the work of grace actually looks like. Okay, And then finally, verses 20 through 23 is going to be this wonderful exaltation of the exalted Christ who was raised and seated and all things were subjected to him and he is the head of the church. This is what is going to be given to us. But today, let's just look at this thanksgiving section. Now think about this grammatically. For this reason, let's stop there. Take out the filler because I've heard of your faith and love toward all the saints. Here's really the clause. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember me in your prayers. That's the main clause in verses 15 through 16. So we know we're right by saying we need to thank our sovereign God as we pray for the saints. Based upon what? The saints, their faith and their love toward all the saints. So, that last clause, I, this first clause, I do not cease to give them to give thanks for you. Now, let's think about this. Let it sink in. Every time he prayed, he's saying, I do this unceasingly. Now, it doesn't mean that we close our eyes driving down the road in our car in a snowstorm and pray. Now, we think about that. What did Paul actually mean by saying that he prayed without ceasing? We know what 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. So evidently, when he prayed, every time he prayed, he gave thanks to God for what the Lord had accomplished in the church of Ephesus. Scholars believe that Paul probably maintained a strict discipline of prayer that he actually learned through Judaism. And what was that prayer cycle like for someone who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Well, he prayed how many times a day? Three, morning, noon, and evening. And how long each time? An hour. And most scholars believe that this is the kind of prayer life that Paul maintained. Not out of the legalistic, formal type of the Pharisaical prayer, but the liberty in the Holy Spirit of God to pray in this manner. So Paul didn't see the legalism of Judaism as something that should be brushed off entirely in regard to a discipline, right? 
Because some disciplines are very, very good. Not to attain salvation, but because you are saved, we maintain. And so let's say, for instance, he's doing this. Think about the discipline that's required for us to pray three times a day, an hour at a time. And that's what Paul, that's what we're dealing with. Most of us will try to pray for some length of time in a day, don't we? I realize that we all pray throughout the day as well, maybe at your meal. Or if you have a friend or a church member who's having surgery, it pops in your mind and you pray for them. Uh, we think about people who have needs. But consider morning, middle of the day, and evening. Paul is maintaining a conversation rigorously in a disciplined fashion in the freedom of Christ to pray for believers. That's convicting, is it not? To thank God for the saints. Now again, consider... How many times you hear Paul say something like this? I will not fail to give thanks for you. I will not fail to pray for you. This is through all 13 epistles that we read. He has this before uh, the people of God. I, will, I do not fail to mention you before God in my prayers. So just read through his epistles and mark the times that he is a disciplined man of prayer. So I say all this to set it up to say to you, I think, to say to you, I think Paul was a man of prayer. I think he was a man of prayer. He gave substantial time, though, in the praying to give thanks. Now, we know how we pray usually, don't we? We rush in haphazardly, and we start spewing out our petitions and our intercessions. But Paul is noted for being a person of prayer who continually went before God and did so with thanksgiving. How much time? Do we actually spend in giving God thanks? We need to think about this. His prayer life was in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. And here's the bottom line. Paul prayed for the church. He gave thanks to God for the church. Are you as guilty as I? The fact that we fail to do just that. To think about the faith of the saints, to think about the work of God that we see in the lives of others. Sometimes we're so self-centered that it doesn't even dawn on us that God could possibly be working in someone else other than me. We're all guilty of this. We, we, we look inwardly, but we don't look out. And the Bible would teach us that if you don't look out, something probably has not happened on the inside. And we don't even think about that. So, Peter O'Brien says this, Petitionary prayer for the people of God was a weapon in Paul's apostolic armory. You know, who is it that's going to write about the armor of God? Who's going to write about that? What book is it in? Hello! It's in the book of Ephesians. It's going to be in chapter 6. And he's going to talk about the armor of God. And as he does, what does he say about prayer? He links that in. So here is Paul taking his own advice. And he is praying and engaging the Lord. We are engaged in a deadly spiritual warfare. We're not reminded of this enough, but we are. And we need to make, make full use of the entire armor of God. So Paul heeds his own advice. So here is Paul's prayer life. Continuously giving thanks and interceding on behalf of the Ephesian believers. So point number one, you ready? Let's be thankful for the sovereign grace of God at work in the lives of others. Why do I say sovereign grace of God? Because of what you find in verses 4, verses 3 through 14. 
If you can't come away with that and not think that God is sovereign, then you're not reading the text accurately. He is sovereign. He did this before the foundation of the world. He did so in love toward us. And so we need to be thankful that God is sovereign, yet at the same time we're thanking God that in his providential grace and mercy that he's actually worked in the lives of the people of God. That's what he means when he says, for this reason. What is he doing? He's linking the prayer to what was said before. Having listed the spiritual blessings in Christ, again, which is the Hebrew form of a eulogy, Paul turns around and based upon those spiritual blessings given to the saints, he turns around and gives thanks to the Lord God for it. Now, here's the question. How did Paul know that he should give thanks for them? How did he know in light of the blessings given to them that, in fact, he should pray for them? That's a good question, isn't it? Because Paul, at this particular point, is not in Ephesus. He's getting a report about what God is doing there. So he can do this because of what he sees now, check this out, among the Ephesians. What is he giving thanks for? He's giving thanks because of the report that comes back to him. So in actuality, he is praying based upon something that is visibly manifested in the lives of the people who are a part of that church. That's why he is giving thanks. Please consider that list again. Election. Before the foundation of the world. Predestination unto adoption. Redemption through his blood. Predestined according to his holy purpose. And the seal and pledge of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. All of these, except the seal and the pledge, took place when? In eternity past. The only ones that took place at the time, right at the time Paul is writing, is the fact that they acknowledged in faith and trusted Christ, and therefore were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and given the pledge of the redemption of their souls. Is that not true? So how can Paul give thanks for these things? Did Paul have a list of the eternal decree of God that listed out all those who were elect from the foundation of the world? Did he? Did he have some secret knowledge into those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? No, folks. The evidence, the proof was in the pudding. In other words, he saw the grace of God at work in the people of God. He saw faith and love. So this prayer would be of no value unless they have actually experienced the blessings that are given in 3 through 14. Am I making sense? Why are you praying? Thanks for their faith and love. If those evidences, if those are not the evidences of what actually God said he would do in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. So the prayer presupposes that because of the faith and love exemplified in those people, they are in fact. The elect of God. Their faith, their love, they both were clear demonstrations that God had chosen them before the foundation of the world. You can't go anywhere. It's snowing outside. We may get snowed in, so y'all better listen. <laughs> right? I'll repeat all this. Think about this. There, this prayer presupposes that because of their faith and their love that's exemplified in their lives, they are in fact the elect of God. Their faith and love were a demonstration that God had chosen them when? Before the foundation of the world. So Paul points 
to this. He points to the work of grace in their hearts as the present proof of what God had done for them actually in the past. It was manifested in the future. Now think, Paul had been away for five years. And this report is continually coming in. And he continually hears of their love for the saints and their faith. And he would have certainly known that some of the ones that he knew the first three years in the embryonic stages, he wouldn't know the rest. He wouldn't know a lot of them that came to faith five years later. But yet he's getting this report that the church is growing in faith and love. Yet the church continued to grow with more coming to the faith, right? So this is what a church should look like. Now, I think it's safe to say and conclude, based upon Paul and what he's giving thanks for, these two things should be the marks of a healthy church. Would you all agree with me? I mean, these are the first two things out of Paul's mouth after he gives the most incredible doctrinal sentence in the entire Greek language. He turns around and he puts the finger on faith and love. Now, we know there's another one, right? Faith. Well, hope's going to be found, I think, down in verse 18, right? So the triad is there, okay? But the two things that he points out here is faith and love. Now, let's ask ourselves, are we a church of faith and love? Are we a healthy church? Do we have a pulse? I know it's snowing this morning. Do you have a pulse? Reach down. Don't use your thumb, right? Because it has a pulse too, right? That's what I've heard. So anyway. Paul is looking for signs of life in the church. And really he's saying, does the church of Ephesus have a pulse? And yes, it does with love and faith. So here's the first one. Thank God for the faith of others. Now I am following your bulletin outline, okay? We, we know the broader context of the points that are coming. Next week we'll probably hit point two, major division. The next week we'll probably hit point three. Uh, It's going to take a full sermon to talk about the risen Christ, the seated Christ, right? Subjection to all things. But here's what we're building on today. Paul gives thanks to the sovereign God who has worked a work of grace in the lives of this people. How is it manifested? In two ways. Thank God for the faith of others in the Lord Jesus. Now, this verb, your faith, tain pistin in the Greek. It could either be active faith Or we could be referring to faithfulness. In other words, it could refer to the object of our faith being the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we put our faith and trust in Him and we were saved. That's called saving faith. Okay, Or it could be the sphere of which we are now living our life in faithfulness to the God that we belong to. Y'all, you understand? That's what this expression can mean. It can mean one of two things. So does it include conversion? Yes. But it's not only conversion. Peter O'Brien again says, Their faith is in the Lord, Jesus. This expression also denotes not simply the object to which his faith is directed, but the sphere in which it lives and acts. So does it include saving faith? You better believe it. The word Lord is more than a title. It is. Lord Jesus. Don't you love the way Paul says that? Faith in the Lord Jesus. Curios means master, Lord, ruler, owner. When we give the gospel to children, I often say boss. They understand that. And we should too, right? 
So when Jesus becomes our Savior, he also becomes our Lord at that moment. He doesn't become Lord sometime down the line. He is Lord and Savior. He is Lord Jesus. And faith means trust in, this Greek word, rely upon Jesus only for salvation. So it certainly includes saving faith. But this faith was a visible thing that you could tell people about. Now listen, church, are y'all listening? There's a report that went out. And you can't see someone trust Christ and God change their heart if you just look at them. But the visible manifestation of the fact that they did give themselves wholly to Christ and trust in Him will be manifested in the way they live their lives. Does that make sense? That's what the text is about. Their faith was manifested in a Christ-centered life. How can we ever say that He is Lord and Savior and then walk away and say, well, my life's not centered upon Him? And so this is talking about a faith that is real. It was a faith that was lived out. It was a faith that was acted upon. It was a faith that was observable. Have you ever discussed with someone the issue of faith? And he or she claimed to be a believer? And then they said, well, you know, preacher or friend, my my faith's a private thing. Have you ever had that happen to you? Or is this just preachers when they talk to people? And they say, well, it's like I'm a secret service Christian. And my faith is a private thing. I want to remind you, faith is a personal thing. But our faith is not private. Everything on the pages of Scripture makes your faith public. You live it out in your life. It is something that is seen. It is something that is observed. It is something that can be reported. Because Paul got a report. And what was it about? It was about the manifestation. It was something seen, observed, and reported. West, the Greek scholar, translates your faith as the down among you faith. (laughs) I like it. It's something that gets deep down in you when you are saved. It's not something that just gets you a pass from hell. No, he, he becomes Lord, Master, Ruler. Savior, someone that you attach yourself to as a learner, that you follow all the days of your life. So, any so-called faith that doesn't produce a life of obedience to the Lordship of Christ is a false faith. That's the problem with the United States in churches today. I just hit the nail on the head. Because there are a lot of people who claim Jesus as Savior... But they do not live for him as Lord. And I'm trying to tell you that is impossible biblically. It is an impossibility. So, any so-called faith that doesn't produce a life of obedience to the Lordship of Christ is a false faith. And I'll even add this. A faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. Every single time. They went out from us because they were not part of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained. So... Their faith in the Lord Jesus was indeed a clear demonstration that God had chosen the group of people. When? Before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. To Paul, there was no contradiction there. God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. And the proof in the pudding is the fact that you believe the gospel. 
and were saved. Do you know that this, we often worry about this, don't we? We wonder about who's elect and who is not. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the fruit of election. If you don't believe the gospel, you're not saved. What is proof that you are the elect of God? That you believe the gospel. Let me give you another example. Just flip over a couple of pages. Just jump over Philippians and Colossians and land in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to how Paul brings about the work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, that are proof of the fact that the gospel changed them. Verse 3. Same, same way, look at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. What is he doing? He's praying for the saints, thanking God for them, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. If you, think one of the, if you were worried about hope being left out, there it is. There's your triad. Listen. For we know, brothers, verse 4, loved by God that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for the sake, for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word of God with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Don't y'all see? Elect of God. Loved of God. Is that a reality? You better believe it. But what's the proof in the pudding? You became imitators. There was a change in your life. You believed the gospel. Look at verse 9. Incredible. For they themselves report, hmm, another report, right? Concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols. I call that redemption. I call that a separation from the past. Genuine believing. And then the Bible says, to serve the living and true God. I call that a consecration for the present. There's a separation from the past, a consecration for the present. Look at this expectation for the future. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Fruit of faith. Faith, love, they're proof of election. They're fruits of the fact that you are chosen by God. Folks, don't sit around worrying if your name's on the roll. You need to sit around thinking, do I believe the gospel? That's the important thing. That's the most important thing. Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and has it manifested itself in your life? You don't have the ability to spy into the eternal decrees of God. And neither do I. The only proof I've got that you're a believer is that you believe and there's an evidence manifested in your life. Why? Because Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. Faith and love. In believing in Christ, then you know that the Father has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Again, let's go back to the introduction. What if Paul would have gotten reports on us regarding our faith. Which is the fruit of grace. Is it something that's observable in our church? Not only do we claim to know Jesus as our Savior, but do we manifest the fruit of living a life in the sphere of faith? Do we as a church? Notice something important here. Our faith is in who? 
the Lord Jesus. Do we have a distinct faith? You better believe it. You know, we've always, we often hear terms like sexual... I don't have a watch. You're in trouble. There's something called uh, sexual orientation. We get that. Boy, howdy do we not. There's all kinds of things. But what about faith orientation? That's something else that's thrown out there. So, well, what is your faith orientation? Do you know there's nothing intrinsically virtuous about one's faith orientation? People of all religions and orientations say they believe something. Even an atheist believes something, and that's that God doesn't exist. Which, by the way, is a truth statement. And they say there's no truth, so how can they make that statement, right? But people of all religions, the question is, is your faith in the Lord Jesus? Our faith is distinctive. It is exclusive, right? Jesus said, there's no way to be saved other than through him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So as Paul viewed this group, he knew that their faith was distinctive. It was a distinctive faith. It was in Christ. It was not an ambiguous faith. It was not even an ecumenical faith. It was a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't even a broad faith in God. It was in the Lord Jesus. Now, Katie, bar the door. If you ever get a chance to have an interview on TV, you're good if you just say God in general, broad. But if you narrow that down to God is the Lord Jesus Christ, and Katie bar the door. So, our faith is distinctly in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must also say that as Paul thought about the health of the spiritual life of the church and this sign, more people were coming to the faith. Right? We have to say, yes, it's distinctive. It's a growing faith. He saw a saving faith in that church because they had an attitude that they wanted more conversions. People were coming to the faith in Jesus Christ. Spurgeon once said, where the gospel abounds, conversions abound. We want to see conversions in this church. Well, better yet, in the community, don't we? We want to see people come into faith. So would this not also include growing faith? Just think about how broad that particular thing of faith. Saving faith, growing faith. The, the action of faith out of our lives. People were growing in their obedience in the faith. And Paul recognizes this. So, this is what makes faith visible. Obedience. Obedience to the Lord. Living out the gospel. Finally, thank God for the love of others for all the saints. Love is also a fruit of grace. In other words, if God's grace has actually transformed you, you will be a person of faith. And you actually have love for all the saints. That's a sign. Doesn't the Bible say this? How do you know that you've been brought from death to life? First John. Because you love the brethren. Now, it's Valentine's Day, isn't it? But I'm reminding you that we, as believers, believe love in a different realm. Uh, no greater love. That someone can share for another that he lay down his life. So this is agape. This is a love with no strings attached. First John 4, 7. Beloved, I say, uh, love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of, sit with me. Beloved, let us love one another. I almost forgot the song, right? We learned this by song. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. For everyone that 
loves God is born of God. He that loves not does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So on Valentine's Day, that's the sphere of love that we live in as a people of God. Why? You love him because, here we go. Is that not what Ephesians 4 teaches? Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 5. In love, he predestined us. Folks, if in love, he predestined you, then a fruit of grace in your life that you've actually been loved by God is that you will love the saints. It's amazing what we can learn from the Bible if we actually study it and preach it. The way it's given to us. We learn the scripture. Andrew Lincoln says this. The recipients of this letter have an attitude of solidarity with a concern for the welfare of other believers. It's pretty easy for us to love people we like. But what if somebody in this Baptist church rubs you a little wrong? Or you just, I just can't take that person's personality. Last time I checked, you got the whole, same Holy Spirit that she or he has. Last time I checked, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be manifested in your life. In, in Georgia, we used to use the expression, that man or woman is mean as a junkyard dog. You ever heard of that before? And some of the meanest people in all the world sitting in churches every Sunday. Meaner than a junkyard dog. No excuse for that. No excuse not to love the same. This says all the saints. They love the saints in Thessalonica. They love the saints in the church of Rome. They love the saints in Colossae. All around. We struggle loving the saints in this community of faith. And yet they had a love for all the saints. It was demonstrated in the report. It was a universal love. Do y'all know the word Catholic is the word universal? So this was actually a Catholic kind of love. Not the Catholic Church kind of theology. But a universal Catholic kind of love that knew no bounds and reached to all the people. Look. Love for the saints. How in the world are we going to manifest the love of God for our enemies? Our people out in the world who are lost. And that, that are, they're not our enemies. But the scripture says to love your enemies. But just think about that for a moment. How can we do that without love? What did Jesus say about love? By this, the world will know that you are my disciples because you wear Christian t-shirts. <laughs> with slogans on them. You actually don a WWJD bracelet, right? That means you love God, right? I mean, Jesus could have said, this is the way that the world will know that you love me. You're going to put an ichthus. You know what that is? You're going to put a fish sign on your chariot and ride it around. You're going to put an ichthus or a fish, right? Just circle and other Christian comes back. Sir. You're going to put these on all of your vehicles. That means you're going to love. Is that what he said? No, it's not. What will manifest that you are, in fact, a disciple of Jesus Christ is that you will love one another. The real badge of ownership, of discipleship, will be your love for one another. Love ends up being not only the trademark of faith, but actually the trademark of the fact that God chose you. Let me show you, John. I'm going to beat you there because I've got it marked. John 15, verse 12. Notice the wording. It's important. 
This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. It goes back to Ephesians 1, 4. He, or verse 5. In love, he predestined you for adoption. The reason you can love others is because God first loved you. The reason we know that we walk in the fruit of election and love is the fact that we do walk in faith and love. We have these things in us. So they love Christians in Corinth. Woo. You know that Paul actually talks about loving them in Corinth. Man, they had some problems in that church, right? Trying to love the saints. They were fighting and suing one another and all kinds of things going on. And yet, Paul reminds them to clearly demonstrate love. Paul will tell the Thessalonians to let their love abound, superabound. It was not a parochial love. What does that word mean? It wasn't limited. It wasn't narrow. It was universal. It was active. They did not have the adage that some churches have, we love us four and no more shut the door. Us four, no more shut the door. A lot of churches are like that. That's not the kind of love that we ought to manifest. Not to one another or the world at large. So Paul looks at the Ephesian church and guess what? They've got a pulse. They have faith and they have love. Here's how I want to conclude today. What if there was an apostolic report on FBC Ozark? What if he was writing to us? Now, I'm not going back 152 years. Let's just go back eight years, right? Let's just say embryonic church plant. You see the church plant in Acts chapter 14, 15. You see the results of Paul calling the elders over from Ephesus to Miletus to give them instruction about what an elder ought to be. We see all that in the book of Acts. Hey, I want to remind you of something too. What is the condemnatory thing that Jesus says to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation? You have lost your, watch out, what they had here, they would not continue. But there is longevity. Remember when we did the actual breakdown of, of the book of Ephesians? We learned that this church is going to last up into 400 and something uh, BC, uh, A.D. Wow, 400 and something years, the church of Ephesus. But Paul says, I have this one thing against you, that you have lost your first love. So... I believe if there was an apostolic report on FBC Ozark, they'd be much good. That could be said by the Apostle Paul. And I will say this to you, to God alone be the glory. For anything positive that is said, it won't be because of us. Why? We can water, we can plant, but only one person brings the increase. And his name is God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be much to rejoice in. Uh, you are, you have fewer than usual... But there are brothers and sisters that are sitting around you and they're trying to live out their faith in the gospel. And praise God for that. Not only have you trusted Christ, but you're actually living it out in faithfulness to the Lord. And I think, as a general rule, there's an awesome atmosphere in this body. Are we perfect? Nope. Some of you that are visiting, I'm not always this nice. Some of you are thinking, man, he is so nice this conference. I don't want you to get the big head. So most of the time, I'm not that nice to you. Just preach the word. And, and it's not always nice. Sometimes it is, right? You say, preacher, just say it in a nicer way. Okay, I'll work on that. So, I see people in our church who are serious about obeying the word of God. And that's an awesome thing. 
women's Bible studies popping up, and we're not popping in Beth Moore or Priscilla Shire. We're studying the Bible. We're studying the Word of God as a, as a group of women. That's awesome. Because God gave us the Word of God to study for a reason. So that we grow in our faith. Right? I'm excited about what I hear and what I see about the Word. So, I see a church that really does love one another and serves one another. I've seen many of you serve people you do not know. And that's an awesome thing. Isn't it? To have love. So, we do see people demonstrating their discipleship as well and love for one another. I think we pray for one another. If you have a need in this body and you let people know, I believe this church body will pray for you. But are we perfect? No, but let's be thankful that God is truly working in this church and there's a true work of grace. I end with this question. Now, I say that corporately about what I see in the body. But here's the final question. What report could be made about your faith in the Lord Jesus personally? And your faith. For the, uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Okay, here's what I'm asking you. Take an imaginary pen and draw a circle around your whole life, your whole body, who you are, and ask yourself that question. Don't ask it for the person beside you because I can already tell you I'm convicted over your sins already. And you're convicted over mine. I'm not talking about me or anybody else. I'm talking about you. If you got an individual report on your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, what kind of report would you get? Is that not a good question? That's a question that can spur on revival in the life of a church. What is the apostolic memo to you? What would the Lord say? You might actually be on the list of the continued prayer for conversion. It's possible that people are listening to me today. And we've, we've prayed because we've heard that an individual may not know the Lord. And we, we pray. But I think it's a good thing to be on the list that we're praying for you that God will save your soul. What about would you be on the Thanksgiving list for contributing to the growth and health of this body? You yourself. Would you be on Paul's Thanksgiving list if he would have started this church eight years ago? Would you be on his list of Thanksgiving in your encouragement and our place of growth and health in this body? Or would you be on, you would be under the class of Achan in the Old Testament? Or Demetrius or Alexander who have forsaken the Lord? I mean, let's just be honest. This is good introspection, is it not? Would I be on the list of not contributing to the health of the local body of believers here at FBCO? Would you be in that realm of a petitionary list of actually hindering the work here? Question, do you contribute to the overall health of this body? Whew, that's tough, isn't it? Thank God for the work of grace in this place. Let's move on. Let's don't think about that too long, right? We need improvement. Yes, we do. But in the midst of our acknowledgement that we are not perfect and we need to improve and we need to be healthier as a church body, let us not forget to give thanks to our God for what he is doing in this body. I'm so thankful God is at work. Thank him for what he is doing. Thank him for what he has done and what he is doing today. Praise God for a true work of grace that draws forth Thanksgiving to God 
for the people of God. Now, I said last week that I'm convicted about the issue of prayer. I'm even more convicted about it now. Do we really thank God? And do we see the visible manifestation of the fact that people are, in fact, chosen by God, predestined, adopted, sealed? And the manifestation is what? Faith and love. I know this has to hit a nerve because it does in me. It's one thing to say you know all these things in the Bible. It's another thing to actually live them out. It's one thing to actually live in the sphere of faith. Right? That your decisions are made and that your confidence in the Lord is such. Let us not say we believe one thing and totally deny that. We actually end up becoming a practical atheist. We say we know the Lord, but in practicality, we don't even act like we love, know him because of the way we live. But the Bible says, first things out of Paul's mouth after that incredible doctrinal section, thank God for faith and love for all the saints. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know we have fewer numbers today, but Lord, it only takes one or two. To get on fire for the Lord and, and to say, Lord God, help us. Help us as a church. God, deliver us from mediocrity. God, help us. Deliver us from church as usual. Just pop in, get in our normal seat, hear a sermon, kind of nod at it, and then forget it. Lord, help us be a church that manifests faith. Not only in the Lord Jesus and growing faith and saving faith, but Lord, uh, others becoming Christians, trusting Jesus. May faith be visible as a fruit in our lives. Lord, your word reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Lord, I am positive that there are men and women in this church who have spiritual strongholds. Some of them have to do with how they've treated their brothers and sisters. Some of them have to do with the way they are presently treating brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, help them. Help them to think about what great cost it was for you to save their soul. That you loved them from the foundation of the world. Made it an actuality. Made it a reality in time and space through redeeming their hearts and sealing with them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. Lord, others have strongholds of sin. Various things that are totally contrary to a life of faith. God, deliver us. Lord, send revival that your people may turn and seek your face. Lord, help us. Father, in the realm of love for all the saints, Lord, help us not limit where we love the saints. We love them in Vietnam. We love them in Guatemala, Mexico, India. Lord, all the saints, we pray for them. And Lord God, help us to apply this to our life. And may we have the healthy signs of life, that we have a pulse here at FBC Ozark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Brother David's going to lead us. Maybe you need to come to know the Lord. You need to be saved today. It was a snowstorm, I believe, that either Moody or Spurgeon was saved in a snowstorm. Walked, Spurgeon, I think, snow this deep, and he made it to that little Baptist church and heard the gospel and got saved. Not saying you will get saved today. Only God knows, right? That's his eternal decree. But we're going to rejoice if you believe the gospel. Amen. Let's sing together. Stand Let's together. stand.
Overcome every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Vince and Cheryl Stevens, come on down here. Well, we certainly have a body of Christ that manifests faith and love, and the Lord God has added two more. Amen. All right. So this is Vince and Cheryl Stevens, and they've been visiting for quite some time. They've already taken the new members class. They want to stand before you today and tell you that they are uh, wanting to be a part of this particular church body and be full mem- in full membership of this church, and we're asking them to serve the Lord, right, with faith and love, and we're asking you to love them. Amen. <laughs> And to serve together in this church body. So welcome them to our church family. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I'll ask you guys to go back there past uh, Mr. Bruce and Chris and Don. And we'll have people greet you out there in that open space. All right. Well, to God be the glory. Y'all be safe. It doesn't do this in Georgia. (laughs) Or Alabama. But uh, I, I, I drive too fast. I came out of the curves after about Thursday, mm, something like that, and I'd gotten used to Highway W, and I come up behind this blue truck, and it's just bad. I'm like, I got to go. I'm in a hurry. And I pull out beside it, and I start by, and it's Jessica. And she puts her fist up like this at me. <laughs> I just kept on going. Yeah. And then I get a call, get a text from, a call from Jared, and it's like, my wife said, if you fall, if you go off in the ditch, she's not stopping. <laughs> it was hilarious. All right. And Nathan got so tickled. It was pretty fun. Don't drive fast, okay? Don't take advice from me. All right. God bless each one of you. We're going to sing the doxology, and we're going to go home. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless. Stay safe out there.